Welcome to See, Hear, Speak podcast, episode 13. In this episode, I talk with Tony Sindelar, instructional designer. In our discussion, Tony describes how PowerPoint can be used for good or for evil. To use them for good, Tony shares many valuable tips for creating effective PowerPoint presentations that will help you convey key points and not distract from them. Tony peppers our discussion with fun examples from his experiences teaching professors how to create PowerPoint presentations that facilitate learning. This conversation is part of a series on leading literacy change that I have created for a course I teach online at the MGH Institute of Health Professions in Boston. Thank you for listening. And don't forget to check out www.seehearspeakpodcast.com to sign up for email alerts for new episodes and content, read a transcript of this podcast, access articles and resources that we discussed, and find more information about our guests. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast in Apple Podcasts or wherever you are listening. Welcome to See, Hear, Speak podcast. Today I have Tony Sindelar, and he is going to discuss with us designing effective PowerPoint presentations. I also have Norma Craffey, and I will have them start by introducing themselves. Hi, so I'm Tony Sindelar. I am an instructional designer here at the MGH Institute of Health Professions. Uh, if you've never heard of an instructional designer before, that's okay. I'm pretty used to that. Uh, I am someone who helps uh, faculty and teachers out with their teaching. I'm kind of like a coach for teachers. So people come to me with uh, challenges or areas they're looking to improve their teaching, and I try and give them guidance to help them out. And sometimes that includes uh, how to make sure that you're using PowerPoint in a way that will uh, help you and not hurt you. So that's me. Hi, everyone. I'm Norma Craffey. I am a first-year doc student here at the IHP, a reading specialist and former public school teacher in the elementary setting. Excited to talk with you. So oftentimes, um, as a leader of literacy change, you are asked to create a presentation to share information, uh, either to share ideas that you have about change that you want to implement in the school system or to maybe even share ideas about a presentation or share information about a presentation you attended somewhere else. So creating effective PowerPoints is critical to get your information out and to be a change agent. And we were thinking um, about different uh, good and bad PowerPoint presentations, and that's how Tony started his lecture on effective PowerPoint presentations when you would come to my course. So I thought we could start the podcast out mm -hmm. that way of just kind of thinking, and I encourage listeners too to just get in your head, kind of what are your, we can start out with the bad, because then maybe <laughs> we'll end on a good note, but mm -hmm. let's start with the bad. So I'm sure you can think of many examples, but what are some examples of bad PowerPoint presentations? What do you think? Oh, um, I can I can probably think of a hundred. Um, <laughs> what was the worst? <laughs> yeah, the worst? Think about the worst, the most unpleasant. Um, I think I, I can't. I'm not that I can say a specific one, but I do have very um, multiple memories of the end of the year being in public school and having to sit through like your two or three days of professional development mm. when it's <laughs> a million degrees and 
you are you know being trained on a new curriculum and perhaps you have a publisher coming in to do your training um, and I do have to say that publisher-based trainings, um, I've been to many different publisher-based trainings for many different reading initiatives or computer programs, and I, I don't feel that they were, um, they were very engaging. It was mm -hmm. more just talk at you, like how to read a manual, mm -hmm. and um, I think that in general that that's very frustrating for teachers, but also at the end of the year when everyone's so exhausted and you have mm -hmm. to pack your classroom up and you have to do this and that. Mm -hmm. And as a reading specialist, you have to you know, make sure all your data is processed and retrieve all your books and there's so much to do. Um, I think that that time could probably use, be used very effectively, but the, the manner um, or the vehicle that they were trying to present yeah. the information through was just you know, not engaging enough to, to um, work. And I, I think that's interesting, especially in education when engaging your learners <laughs> is um, something you're evaluated on, but then yeah. to have to sit through presentations where, you know, there no effort is being made yeah. to use those strategies that you're expected to use with kids. Yeah. It's a lethal level of irony. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah. It really is. I can I, think about just, you know, people talking to you, as you said, yeah. and mm -hmm. talking at you, I think yes. you said, but it's also that dreaded reading from yes. the PowerPoint. Everyone brings that up when I ask them about that. It's the reading the slides, right? You know, your audience, it's, it's like, they're not literate enough that they could read the slides. <laughs> it's like, I'm going to read the slides at them is the worst, yeah. most disengaging thing. I think about, you know, the workshops at the end of the year, I almost feel like those are the presentations that people are giving not because they want to help you out, not because they want to engage you or change what you're doing, but like so that we can check a box that says yes. we yes. did it, yes. right? Yeah. So instead of there being any interactivity, instead of there like you working with a peer, instead of you yeah. doing things or asking questions or thinking about what is this going to look like in your teaching, we are presenting information that you could have read so that we can say we've done, we've it. done it. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. that, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> the other thing that drives me nuts is when the pacing is off. Mm -hmm. So maybe there's a slide up that has few words, like, okay, that's mm -hmm. what we just do. But then there's just so much talking that mm -hmm. seems unrelated to that slide mm -hmm. that it's like the slide is actually distracting. Yes. Right? It's yeah. Like, or there's a random picture. Mm -hmm. and you're like, I don't know how this relates to what you're saying. I don't mm -hmm. know. It's just like a cute kid. Mm -hmm. But then you're just talking all around it. it it's yeah. not a match. Yeah. Life. And, you know, it's, it's interesting to kind of think about kind of, the cognition of PowerPoint, right? Which I think is something probably people don't think a lot about. It's mm. just a thing we use everywhere, right? And it's this combination of you can put visuals on the screen and you can have text and image, but then there's also the person speaking in front of it, right? And I feel like a lot of people don't really think about the like triangulation mm. of those things, right? How does what's on the screen be a text or image? How do the text and image work together? But how does that work together with what you're saying, right? And I think about, we have all these just deeply, deeply ingrained bad habits about PowerPoint. Mm -hmm. I think about presentations where, like, did you need a speaker there? And if not, why did that happen, right? I mean, I think about the conference presentations yeah. and trainings I go to where the first thing they do, I feel like this has fallen a little out of style, but people would give you a packet that's just all the slides. Yeah. Right. And you yeah. flip through it and it's like, do I know yeah. what they're now going to talk about for the next three hours? Kind of. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're like, what is this going to do to augment yes. learning? Yeah. Uh, and to get the message across. And it, yeah, it's like it should facilitate, not detract mm. from yeah. the message. Mm -hmm. It does seem like it often detracts yeah. from the message as opposed to mm -hmm. facilitate. And that's even, I feel like, when you think about PowerPoint in the classroom, the kind of challenging thing about what are students' expectations mm -hmm. about PowerPoint. I mean, you, you know, at the higher education level, students miss class 
they will ask a classmate or the instructor, can I get the slides? And it's like, that's not the same as being there. And you know, it's like 25 years ago, you might've asked the classmate for, can I get your notes from the day? Right. Now there's not, maybe there aren't notes or the notes are like that's in the PowerPoint, saying. but like PowerPoints are not the same as notes from the person who'd been there and notes from the person who'd been there is not the same as being there, right. but people kind of think it's good enough, yeah, <laughs> which yeah. is wild, right? Yeah. It is. I also think it can actually talk about detracting because we're saying kind of the bad aspects mm -hmm. of PowerPoint, but I like when you presented in class, I used the example of Winston Churchill, yeah. where it shows um, on the, for the listeners, there's a slide that behind Winston Churchill giving his famous speech and he says, we shall fight. And then it has a bullet point on the beaches on the landing grounds, in the fields, in the streets, in the hills. And then it has, no, never surrender. Yeah. <laughs> and of course. So it, it just reduces. Yeah. <laughs> Which you as a literate audience will read. Yes. Before he says it. Yes. Possibly while he's yes. saying it. So you're distracted. Yes. But so either you don't hear his delivery or the delivery lacks all dramatic impact. Yes. Also. For, the slide is in Comic Sans, but yeah. Yeah, really. Comic, yeah, Sans. Which, yeah. you know, I know I some. Remember your loathe of that from the oh. And, you know, I know, the, I, I have to be. <laughs> designers love to make fun of Comic Sans. It's a, you know, it's a. Comic Sans doesn't spike back. Um, it is probably. There are good things about Comic Sans. I've heard there are reasons why it's designed the way it is. Uh, and there are some good uses of it, but it is a frequently overused. <laughs> font that can be a little distracting and I think especially depending on who your context is can feel a little unprofessional so what's I don't your, what's your recommended is it Times New Roman or uh, so my recommended font if you never want to think about fonts and and PowerPoint and we can talk a lot mm -hmm. probably not today but I could talk a lot about <laughs> fonts and designing with type uh, but if you never want to think about what type your or what your fonts are on your slides and you never want them to be distracted mm -hmm. You want to use a sans serif font. So that means a font without feet. So Times New Roman has feet. That's great for the printed page. Mm -hmm. If you're creating a document that you're going to give to people or they're going to print out, um, that's really, or even just look at on their screens where it's paragraphs of text. If you're putting together some kind of packet for an audience or for uh, students or whatever, uh, Times New Roman is a lovely font to use for that. And it's a very standard, like Times New Roman is, is an elegant font that like people just see as like the generic font. Mm -hmm. So if you're writing a paper, you've probably written it in Times New Roman. Right. For the screen, for slides, you want something that has sans serif. It doesn't have those little feet. Those little feet help you read sentences and paragraphs of text, but you don't need them for the screen where you have like short phrases and bulleted lists and whatnot. So your classic sans serif fonts are Arial and Helvetica. If you use Arial and Helvetica, no one will ever complain. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they can be a little boring, but like they're also super readable and they're kind of simple and they yeah. work. So, um, you oh, know. I like that. Yeah. yeah. Learn something now, new. <laughs> solve that, solve that for sure. Yeah. I, I like you gave a, a reference, uh, or it's an article written in mm -hmm. Wired called PowerPoint is Evil. Yeah. It goes right to some of the bad <laughs> examples, but I like that a few uh, quotes I pulled from it. Is one is PowerPoint's pushy style seeks to set up a speaker's dominance over mm -hmm. the audience. Mm -hmm. So of course that's anti, uh, you know, interaction, mm -hmm. which we really know is very facilitative for learning. The other one was the standard PowerPoint presentation elevates format over content, betraying an attitude of commercialism that turns everything into a sales pitch, mm -hmm. which just goes back to the Winston Churchill. I thought mm -hmm. that was really <laughs> oh, definitely format over content, which is the opposite of what mm -hmm. we want. And then the other one was, but rather than supplementing a presentation, it has become a substitute. So PowerPoint is substituting presentation and such misuses ignore, oops, now I'm going to 
pull this down here a little bit so I can see it. Um, ignore the most important rule of speaking, which is respect your audience. Yeah. And I would also say know your purpose, mm -hmm. uh, which is part of the audience aspect. So yeah. um, I thought that short write-up was really good in terms of what we often think of are the bad parts mm -hmm. of PowerPoint. Yeah, I really recommend people check out that short reading, PowerPoint is Evil. It's by Edward Tufte, who's a, uh, he does a variety of things, but including visual design, and he's got this great series of books, and he does all day workshops on presentation design, and he hates PowerPoint. Mm -hmm. He thinks PowerPoint, I mean, I think the title is a little tongue-in-cheek, PowerPoint is Evil, mm -hmm. but he does not like it. He is not a fan, and uh, I am sympathetic to some of his views in terms of, I think there are some things that PowerPoint kind of does by default, and that we have these kind of cultural habits about how we use PowerPoint that are not great. Right. <laughs> so uh, the question would be, do you, you know, can you use PowerPoint in a way that breaks away from those? Maybe. Uh, Edward Tufte would say that, like, no, there's all these things that about it that are just inherently not good. Um, but I mean, I think one of the big ones that he's really critical about is, again, this like use this as the tool to talk at people instead of talking with them. And the other thing he's really critical about is basically the density of information you can put in a PowerPoint slide, right? Everybody uses PowerPoint slides as a way to communicate information. And you have that classic, like, here's text in a bulleted list, even if it doesn't make any sense for it to be in a bulleted list. And he does the thing where it's like, the density of information in PowerPoint is closer to the density of information in like C-spot run, like children's books, mm -hmm. right? And that that's not good. That, that you know, uh, the thing I sometimes tell people when they're designing PowerPoint, PowerPoint is more like a, like a billboard on the side of the highway. That's the level of information you can put in it. And if that's a jumping off point for what you're talking about, I think that can be okay. But if that's all you're doing, if all you're doing is reading the billboard at people, you're not doing much. <laughs> like, and you're probably, you may be doing more harm than good. Mm -hmm. So one of the things I bring up, and I, I don't know, I don't know how much headway I've, brought, I've made with people, but like, we have kind of moved away from the old version of like, you might give people some kind of document about what you're talking about. So a list of resources, a summary of things. And you know, you think about how much information you can put into like a 200 word single page handout versus like 10 slides. And it's very different. And the kind of the richness and complexity that you can put there. And uh, Edward Tufte is very critical of basically how uh, how little information fits into a PowerPoint and how important information can get lost. And he even talks about in the design of visual information how there are important decisions that have been made that have gotten like obfuscated by not necessarily PowerPoint, but bad visual design, bad design of documents in terms of like, where is the, you know, like kind of the thesis statement of a 10 page scientific report. And if it's buried in the middle of page eight, people didn't see it. He goes on this famous thing about like the Challenger explosion and how like some scientists knew that that was a possibility and failed to communicate it to the people mm -hmm. that had the ability to stop it, mm -hmm. including even he goes into like eight rocket scientists wrote this report and forgot to put their names on it. <laughs> you know, so it's like, here's a bunch of rocket scientists. I forget if it's exactly eight, but you know, several people with PhDs and like they didn't put their names on it. So like the people who read it didn't really know who this was coming from and, and you know, so, but yeah, information design, information density, these things matter. And uh, I sometimes encourage people if, when they're thinking about a presentation, like don't open up PowerPoint and start there. Like maybe start with writing out ideas on a piece of paper or on an index card or in a Word doc, somewhere where the format of the slide is not going to make your decisions for you. And you know, you can, I think you could go into PowerPoint and do all your work there, 
if you are intentional about that, about thinking about that. But it really helps to think about like, what's the goal of your presentation, whether it's a five minute thing or a three hour workshop, like what do you want people to take away from that and make sure that that is like, all of your slides connect to that. And the challenge of PowerPoint is you go in is like, what's the first thing you wanna say? What's the second thing you wanna say? And it doesn't say, what's your whole goal here? Is everything you say gonna connect to that? Uh, Cause that's what matters. So. I can, I, yeah, that's a great transition to think about PowerPoint presentations I've seen that are really good. There, yeah. And one of them I saw recently was the Boston Speaker Series mm. uh, in the Symphony Hall. What a great location, great speakers. And I heard Lisa Ganova there who's a author. Mm. Um, and what I noticed is she started speaking and I thought actually she wasn't going to have a PowerPoint because mm -hmm. she started out, you know, t talking in a narrative, you know, telling her mm -hmm. story, giving some key points. And then what I noticed is she did have a clicker in her hand. And what I noticed is that she um, would only click the PowerPoint when it was something that augmented mm -hmm. her main point. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot about, you know, PowerPoint being something that augments what you want to say, yeah, not directing you. So you're directing PowerPoint. It's mm -hmm. not leading you. Mm -hmm. And she used it so effectively. And then what she also did, which I thought was really effective, something I would like to try out is she also turned the slides off. Mm. So she would, you know, show something that augmented and then she would click another one that was basically turn it off yep. and then talk some more, talk some more, focus on the message, then click again, something mm -hmm. that augmented. So she either had like a blank slide yes. or there's literally, here's a, I, I try not to do too many technology tips, but if you're giving a PowerPoint presentation, uh, one thing, watch out for like standing just by your computer the whole time. That's not very dynamic or engaging, but literally here's one, the one tip I'll give you, you hit the B button, it makes your screen go black. Yeah. That's what she was doing. There you go. That's yeah. That's exactly what she was doing. Yeah. She didn't, cause she could, she clearly had, um, an amazing speaking style. She was very effective. And you could tell that she was only putting the slides up when she wanted the audience to pay attention to the slide and her. Mm -hmm. But then what you can't leave that slide up while you continue on. It's distracting. Because it's distracting. And she wanted everyone to focus on the message. And so instead of the format leading the ahead of the content, mm -hmm. it was clear the content was leading yeah. the format. And to me, those are the, the that's the essential part yeah. of a good presentation. Yeah. What are some other things, if you think of like a good presentation you've heard recently, Norma, that you really liked? Um, the best presentation and speaker that I have seen is Dr. Ablon over at the Think Kids um, at Mass General Hospital. He um, came to the Cape where I was working um, in the public school systems and we had an initiative Cape-wide for social emotional learning and several schools were implementing the Think Kids um, um, framework within their schools and he was just a fabulous speaker um, he did you know he did have slides um, but he was so engaging and and personal like mm -hmm. personable and he was I mean he was in an auditorium with with um, several hundred people and mm -hmm. it was packed and it was hot and it was all day and he really just had everyone right there with him. I, I've heard that he's, mm -hmm. um, you know, recognized internationally for being a great public speaker as well. But um, I do remember that I don't think I paid much attention to the slides. I was just focused on what he was saying. And I am mm -hmm. one of those people that will read the slide before you even talk mm -hmm. about it. And I get bored very easily. Um, and 
it really, I am someone who really um, needs to be engaged within mm -hmm. a presentation or, or a tune out. Mm -hmm. So, you know, he was definitely um, one of the best presenters that I've mm -hmm. seen. And that was actually the first guideline you gave, Tony, mm -hmm. when you spoke to the class. The guideline number one for creating effective presentation was engage your yeah. audience and don't bore them. Can you yeah. tell us about that? Guideline? Yeah, I mean, I think that's, it's even challenging. I, there are people, uh, PowerPoint's been around for a long time now, so most people are pretty familiar with it. But I remember in my early days working with faculty, there'd be people who'd start using PowerPoint for the first time. And there were people I saw who went from, they were probably a pretty engaging speaker in the classroom, like just using chalkboards or overheads or whatnot, and they would start using PowerPoint and they would get less engaging. And that was like, it, now we have lots of people who just use PowerPoint forever. They, they don't remember a world before it, but that felt like especially tragic that it was like, here is this technology that is making you worse yeah. <laughs> or the way you're using it is yeah. making you less engaging. And it's that tricky thing of like, uh, you know, we want good good presentations are engaging, bad presentations are not engaging, and making sure that the technology doesn't get in the way. And some of that is how you use it, right? I mean, I think your example there of the person who was, they were really using the this, this slides and the images to augment what they're saying. I feel like the, the place where people kind of set themselves up for failure with that, reading the slides is obviously awful. Just don't do that. If you're doing that, don't do that. <laughs> like, don't do that. Don't apologize for doing it. Just don't do it, right? And it's hard. People still do it. I'm, I feel like maybe I'm stressing that a lot, but like, stop doing it. Like, just you know, I feel like I go to a conference and there will always be. And it's not your slides. It's how what you're doing, right? But like, I haven't been to a conference yet where somebody hasn't done that. It's like, how is that still happening in you know the year 2019? Like, how are we still here? How do we not know that that's bad? But even the next version of that, maybe you're not reading your slides verbatim, but like, your slides aren't your notes. And that's, I think a lot of people are still at that place, right? Mm -hmm. So the slides are like, this is a reminder to me, the speaker, what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. And your slides are not your notes. Like that's, that, you don't want to do that. I mean. I'm guilty as charged. Yeah. Doing that, I'll be like, oh, I'll just follow my slides. You know, and the, this this was, I'll tell the story of one of the worst presentations I'll ever see. I will not name this person. This was an invited speaker at the school where I was an undergraduate. It was literally a Nobel Prize winner. And they came in and it was in a special like auditorium. And there were probably 600 people there. And this person went up to the front and they had, this was before PowerPoint, there was an overhead projector and they had their paper written, uh, printed out on transparency. And they put the transparency, and we're talking like a 200 word document on the overhead projector and they had a pencil and they would use the pencil and they read the paper for an hour to an audience of 500 people. And it was like, this was the like, and they weren't, their delivery of it was not super that, dynamic. Yeah, so, uh, and this was like sold out crowd. People had waited in line to get in there. And then like 20 minutes into the thing, like half the audience was gone. Had like, oh. had like people had physically got up and left. Uh, so obviously don't do that. But like your slides aren't your notes. Your slides are the augment to what you're talking about. They're not a reminder to you of what you're talking about. They're also not a reminder to your audience what you're talking about. Like if you need to be reminding your audience what you're talking about in the mm. moment, you've already gone wrong somewhere else. Mm. But yeah, they're not just a summary of what you're talking about. They're an augment. They're a jumping off point. They're a place to illustrate things. Um, yeah. So that leads us to why you've mentioned this a couple times, but explicitly, why are bullet lists bad? I think bullet lists are particularly bad because they're like the default way that we organize text on the screen in PowerPoint and not everything deserves to be a list. But like, that's like, if you open up PowerPoint and say, I need a new slide with text, it thinks you want a bulleted list. 
And I think it becomes even this weird thing where we kind of like fill space on the slide where it's like, we can get about six or seven bullets on here. So we're going to put six or seven things on here. And to me, like a slide should be an idea that you're going to talk about, right? And like, if you've got several ideas that are related, you can talk about them together or maybe they're big ideas and they should each be their own slide. Uh, but yeah, I just, the bulleted list feels like this artificial thing that some software engineer or somebody who was doing sales calls decided in like the mid eighties. And now we use for everything, regardless of like, people give different types of presentations to different audiences with different expectations. Why are we all using bulleted lists? So, <laughs> right. It's like all yeah. of a sudden that's how we, I mean, it really has yeah. something that drives our thinking. Even. Mm -hmm. You know, we think about our PowerPoint, it's like, oh, what are the main bullet points? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Am I, do you think it was because the idea was to not have too much text, but then it went overboard with just having... I think, that, I, I don't know, I, I'm not a, a historian on this, but I've heard some people say it's, it feels like a very sales pitchy thing, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. Like, here's the three things you need to know about this widget. Please buy this widget. Yeah right yeah. you know and but that doesn't that is kind of a disservice to uh you know i feel like there's a disconnect between that and the classroom or interacting with our peers that like we need a richness of deep knowledge we it also i feel like it strips out narrative which you brought up i think mm -hmm. both narrative and that personal component yeah. in good presentations like i think powerpoint doesn't inherently say you can't use narratives mm -hmm. but it doesn't encourage it right and yeah. so there i i mean uh, Edward Tufte has these PowerPoint is evil because it doesn't encourage these good practices and maybe even discourages them. There's the follow-up reading I've got there, which is like uh, in defense of PowerPoint by Donald Norman, where, I mean, I think his thesis is basically PowerPoint's a tool, whether you use it for good or bad is up to you. Right. <laughs> so right. um, I think, you know, it's so it's like, are tools good or evil? It depends how you use it. Well, this leads to guideline too, because mm -hmm. I remember when I first heard you do this presentation, I kind of had that panic moment of like, oh, bullet points. Well, mm -hmm. then what do we do? Yeah. And your yeah. second guideline was make your point, but don't distract from it. Yeah. So ideas of how to get away from mm -hmm. bullet lists or only use them when they're actually making a point that yeah. fits a bullet list. And I think a big part of that, make your point. So first off, not a fan of bullet lists. Uh, not a fan of decorative graphics. And this is hard. I feel like for a while people were doing a lot with images and there was the kind of era of kind of sappy clip art. Now we've moved into the era of nice, visually attractive, but not actually related images. Uh, there was a definitely like a year where I would go to conferences and every conference presentation started with like, here's an image of a path through the woods because it represents our journey through this project that is not about the woods. Um, and a lot of those. Yeah. yeah. And so, <laughs> you know, I mean, you, I think to me, it's like visuals are a very powerful way to communicate ideas, but you have to use them appropriately. And you don't want to use them in ways that are confusing because they are distract, they're actively distracting from what you're trying to, you know, what the point you're trying to make is, what the ideas that you're trying to communicate. Uh, animation falls into a same category. You know, the, I've been through this conversation with a lot of people and they're like, okay, okay, Tony, bullet lists are bad. What if I have a bullet list, but the items fly in one by one? What if I spent 30 <laughs> minutes making it so my slides laser in and then the text is on fire? And it's like, you are not fixing bulleted lists. I'm so um, glad you weren't at my talk yesterday. <laughs> I'm sorry. This is not, I'm not calling anyone out. Some people are like, oh my gosh, you weren't in the room yesterday, were you? And I was like, no. Um, but like, you know, simple goes a long way. And I think especially like, guess what? We're all busy people you do not want to be spending a bunch of your time building fancy, complicated animations in PowerPoint. Like, please, please stop doing that. And it's hard. Simple goes a long way. Like, 
a text, uh, uh, you know, a slide with a couple pieces of text on it, or maybe even just one in like a really big readable font goes a long way. That's my other big pet peeve. I still have not been to a conference where somebody hasn't put up a slide that's like a wall of text. And in order to fit it all on the slide, it's so small that you can't read it. And they apologize. And it's like, don't apologize. Don't do it. Right. <laughs> and like people have gotten better, but we're still not there. Like if you, you know, I don't know, sometimes people want like an exact guideline, but like, you know, and it's hard where you're, you're building a presentation on a screen that's like pretty close to your face. Like, Put that into full screen mode and stand on the other side of the room and see if you can read it. Uh, and like, you know, if you want general guidelines, like smaller than 20 point font is real small for a slide. And like, it's worse if you're in a, if you know you're going to be presenting in a big room where people are way far back or like, I don't know, sometimes I'm presenting in rooms that don't have the best lighting conditions. Like make your text big, make it readable, make it high contrast between the color of the text and the color of the background. Don't have text with lots of different backgrounds sorry i'm getting into the graphical design uh, side of things but like simple goes a long way and it's hard because i think we have some of these habits that get in the way of simple mm -hmm. and we're trying to like fix things and make them kind of like we're like adding sparkle to it without mm -hmm. thinking about what are we actually trying to do here what is the goal you know what do you want your audience to take away from your presentation not like how do i keep them excited with animation so well in defense of your animation, yeah. <laughs> i do want to say that i actually i thought that what you did was very effective so what norma did was she was presenting a model and then she put in an animation of a red line circling something important yeah so you're emphasizing that something. was i think really good because you're like this is where i want you to focus right now yeah, yeah. and this goes with what i'm saying so i would i think that is it i think it was to remind me what i was going to say because i was so nervous <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> highlighting it is a you know that's pretty reasonable yeah that's reasonable versus just reading it you know? yeah oh, and you some know. sometimes i talk in like absolutes for emphasis and it's like Guess what? With a lot of things, like it depends. Yeah. But you know, yeah, but even yeah. getting honestly, like Tony, I've heard you speak on this a couple of times, and every time I go away with something new that yeah. I can do because mm -hmm. I think it is a process, almost like we're having to detox yeah. from yeah. what we've learned yeah. about traditional PowerPoint yeah. mm -hmm. to make it better. We all know it's not as effective as we'd like it to be, but we feel tied to it still. Yeah. So every little it's deeply tweak, entrenched, right? <laughs> deeply entrenched. So every little tweak away from a bad model yeah. is a tweak towards a good model. Yeah. So every little bit helps. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think that uh, one of the biggest uh, points that I remember when I hear your presentation is this idea of planning a whole presentation. Mm -hmm. So to get around some of these bad presentation ideas, what do you say about how do you really, what are the key mm -hmm. components of planning yeah. a whole presentation for it to be effective? So instructional designers, we are all about goals. Uh, when we talk about like instructional design for courses, there's this thing called backwards design. And it's like, what is the goal? Where do you want students, your audience, whoever it is that you're designing for, where do you want them to be by the end of the course? But you can apply that down all the way to the class session or even to the, uh, to, you know, a lesson or to a thing you're doing in class. And, you know, I mean, teachers who know about lesson plans, but just reminding yourself, what is the goal? So if you're thinking about a new presentation or revising a presentation that you're going to give off and like, what is the goal of that presentation? And I sometimes give people like a post-it note or like an index card, something really tiny. You don't get to tell me the goal in like half a page. Like what's the thing that you want people to take away from this presentation? And I even try and get people to even think a little bit more like, cause sometimes people are like, well, I want people to know about X. Mm -hmm. Like that's what a lot of presentations are. It's like, I'm delivering information. I even try and get people to think a little bit beyond that. What do you want them to do with that information? How do you want people to be changed, 
based on the time they spent hearing you talk, whether that's 10 minutes or three hours or three days, like what's the change that you're trying to make? What's the impact here? And if you can define that before you go and start making slides, that's a big deal. And so like that, that goal should really drive a lot of what you're doing because uh, that goal matters. And again, if you're thinking of your slides as your visuals as like the things that are going to augment what I'm doing, they're like the little artifacts that make my case. Those are, you're going to think about those in a very different way than like, well, what's the first thing I'm going to say? I'll put that on the slide. What's the second thing I'm going to say? I'm going to put that on slide two. What's your goal? So the big thing I try and get people to think about, what's your goal in a tiny box? You know, some people are like, they think about it as like the elevator pitch. How would, you, what, what is the, why are you doing this? What do you, what do you want your audience to get out of it? What do you want them to take away from it? How do you want them to be different based on what they're going to, the, the, the time they will spend with you? Um, yeah. And I feel like, you know, some people that's like a little intimidating and some people are like, oh, I know what that is. I just had never articulated that before and maybe hadn't made the best decisions because of that. So that like, you know, people listening, you might think about that, a workshop that you had to give or a presentation you gave recently or have coming up. What's the goal? Can you fit that in a tiny box, one sentence? I don't know. I'll, I'll <laughs> say now, I mean, this is something I, I think about often and now I try to apply it to everything I do. So thinking about this course and this series of podcasts for mm -hmm. leading literacy change, um, I had to think really clearly about the goal and then everything centered around it. So my goal is to provide information and skills that will increase the effectiveness of someone taking the course, actually creating change yeah. in their environment. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's a big goal, but then I could start to kind of specify, but I do think it does lead to, you have these big goals, but then when you're thinking about a PowerPoint presentation, you talk about the next step being the constraints, Yeah. right? Mm -hmm. So how do you match your big goal yeah. with the constraints in a way that's still going to mm -hmm. engage your audience? So instructional designers, we, we do this a lot. We try and get you to think like big pie in the sky. How are you going to change the world? Yeah. <laughs> okay, now you've done that. And maybe you've even committing things to writing is a big deal. But you've, you've, you've got your big, number one, your big goal. Now we want you to think about like what your constraints and the constraints are like the real world. And the real world is like, well, I've only got an hour or 10 minutes or 30 minutes. And there's 50 people in the room or 20 people in the room or those people in the room. It's going to be a hot room at the end of the semester and they need to pack up their classrooms. Um, you know, your constraints are like, who are the people? What's the amount of time you have with them? What are they worried about? Where do they need to be getting? Uh, what are the physical resources you're going to have in the room, right? Can you do stuff? Can you have them work in groups? Can you uh, put stuff up on a flip chart? Uh, time is the big one. Everyone starts with time. So like I've got my big pie in the sky idea, but like, oh yeah, I actually only have 50 minutes or two hours or whatever for whatever topic uh, is a big deal. And again, you know, something, I'll just, I use the word topic there. Uh, you didn't hear me use the word topic when I talked about goal, right? Because goal is not just, I need to talk about this topic. Goal is how will your audience be different? So constraints is a big one. And to me, like good design kind of, it comes out of the intersection of like, what's your big goal? And then what are your constraints? And then the next step might be, and again, maybe you're not even doing this in PowerPoint, like figuring out uh, like an outline, a sequence of key points for your presentation. And again, it's almost like you think about how we teach writing to students and we ask them to build outlines and to think about stuff before they sit down and start writing the paper. How often do we do that with PowerPoint presentations? Mm -hmm. Not a lot. A lot of people's first step with designing a PowerPoint presentation is open PowerPoint, yes. yeah. <laughs> write slide one, write slide two. <laughs> and like, think about how much different you might be if you thought about like, okay, here's my goal. Goal is big and broad and kind of hard to articulate. Now give me like 
the three things that you want to happen in this workshop or this this presentation you're going to give whether it's 10 minutes or you know 10 hours what are some of the things that are going to happen in that and you know that's it's it's an outlining process you can go through revisions you can decide like oh there's actually six and now i want to think about which ones need to be first but doing that before you go and start building slides is important because building slides is time consuming and the other classic thing i see whether it's faculty or students people spend a lot of work a lot of time on the first couple and they run out of time and the second mm -hmm. half is rushed and you like can see it in presentations mm -hmm. and having an outline can help you know that like oh there's six things i need to work on i want to try and spend my time somewhat equally and not spend 80 percent of my time on item one and 20% on items two through six. Like It's really not a linear process. No. That's the thing. When you open up PowerPoint, it feels linear. Like you said, mm -hmm. then you start to get this like in the beginning versus the end. Yeah. Versus if you have these key points, and, you're equal. And even again, that like, this is a place where you might think about the role of narrative, right? Mm -hmm. What's the beginning and middle and end of that mm -hmm. story? And PowerPoint does not think about that in as a technology. PowerPoint is very linear, like, What's the first slide? What's the second slide? What's the third slide? And you can make those slides in whatever order and rearrange them. Mm -hmm. But when you open up PowerPoint, it's like, okay, you're building slide one before you build slide two. Yeah. And our audience experiences it pretty much in a linear way. Mm -hmm. But you as the person thinking about it and planning it don't have to be thinking linearly. Yeah, it's so. like, I think uh, I've, I've been thinking a lot about this idea <laughs> of narrative. Yeah. So as someone who studies comprehension, we think about how humans take in information we are, you know, I would argue in terms of evolution, and people have written on this, the narrative is so critical for understanding yeah. how we've built our society. And so even in doing a scientific talk, there's always a narrative. Like, why are you interested in this? Mm -hmm. You know, what led you to this interesting point? Why do you think this might work? Why not? And so infusing that narrative across everything you do, I think is so powerful. And I can imagine if you're a reading specialist, speech pathologist, you're asked to give a presentation, there's always a backstory. There's always like, let's say your 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 goal is that you went to a, a very cool professional development and now your goal is to come back mm -hmm. and share that information with your school. Instead of just sharing the information <clears throat> that you got, got verbatim, thinking about telling the story. Why did you go to the training? Mm -hmm. Why is it important for this school? Mm -hmm. Why does it matter to the children in the school and the outcomes? Mm -hmm. And then that sets a framework and I think also leads to what are these key points and it touches, mm -hmm. it really think you start to think about the constraints yeah. and the people mm -hmm. that are in the audience. So narrative yeah. I think is so critical, something we often yeah. miss out on. And I think it also um, adds to not only the goal, but you were taking the action steps. Like what do you want them to do when you take away? Mm -hmm. And when you tell, you know, as a reading specialist or an SLP and you're coming back and sharing some information, most of the time it's around improving student outcomes. And there's always a narrative. Everyone sitting in that room is always there to improve outcomes for kids. But oftentimes we get you know, jaded in the mumble jumble of the year. And I think sharing your personal experience and how it changes you makes you vulnerable in a way that makes you real mm -hmm. and authentic. And everybody, um, it, it, I think it just really empowers people to do something. And it kind mm -hmm. of, if you can get one or two people from that group to make a change in their practice, then I mean, you're not just impacting the 30 kids on your caseload, now it's 90 kids. Yeah. And um, so I think that that's such a good point is that goal, but then like having that goal be so clear that there's an action yeah. step after. I think that, that narrative is just so huge. I mean, part of it is like, it makes it human and it makes mm -hmm. it personable in ways where, again, does PowerPoint make things not human and not personal? I don't know whether it's, is it PowerPoint or the way we use PowerPoint, mm -hmm. but we frequently use it in ways that kind of depersonalize the presentation. Mm -hmm. And it feels kind of like, 
for that person who's going to do that same sales pitch 50 times a week so yeah. they can get through it and get yeah. to the next thing. Well, that's not a great experience for the audience, right? Yeah. And so narrative injects a lot of that personal and human. It also puts like a structure that's going to be coherent on what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. And I feel like also, you know, maybe not all narrative does this, but a lot of it gets that like the so what, right? Yeah. Like, where is this going, right? And that's, that's part of those PowerPoint presentations that aren't so great is like, mm -hmm. here is a disjointed sequence of pieces of information mm -hmm. and there's not a structure and there's not a like, why do, why do we care? <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. Like a narrative usually has that baked into the like, mm -hmm. here's the so what. Yeah. Oh. One thing I've been doing and thinking about creating PowerPoints and you, you lay this out in your presentation, talking about putting one piece of paper in and making mm -hmm. the little boxes that would be your yeah. um, individual slides and then really thinking about the key points. Mm -hmm. And I've also been thinking about tying to this narrative. How would I tell an individual person mm -hmm. about something? Because mm -hmm. I, I tend to do a better job when I'm talking one-on-one. Mm -hmm. -on -one. Like I go to the conference, I want to share information. I see my colleague, I say, oh, I went to this great conference. Here's the reason I went and here's what I learned. And it was really cool because I think it's going to help our kids this way. That is then somehow that power of narrative and the organization mm -hmm. and impact I had mm -hmm. in that one-on-one -on -one conversation is completely lost when you're standing mm -hmm. in front of an audience. Yeah. So mm -hmm. I try to think now about when I give a PowerPoint presentation, how I'm basically presenting it to one person, mm -hmm. which happens to be maybe 501 yeah. people yeah. <laughs> no. in that audience. But yeah. I almost, I just want to create it in a way that I'm, I'm actually augmenting what I told mm -hmm. one person. Yeah. You know, I think that's a, a really powerful yeah. way to think about teaching in general. Mm -hmm. uh, and I mean, I think that's something that people in the health professions, if they can figure out a way to kind of activate that is a big deal because people have experience like working one-on-one -on -one with somebody they're mm -hmm. providing services for or working one-on-one -on -one with a student that they're supervising in a clinical setting. And then it's, but it's hard when you go to the classroom because now it's, even if it's like one on 20, it feels like a different world mm -hmm. and it is different. But like, if there's things you can borrow from those other experiences to connect to that, I think you will be more successful and happier and everyone will, everyone will benefit. And, but it's hard, like, you know, we know that transfer is like a, a challenging thing, but if there's stuff you can, you can borrow from that. And it's hard, I feel like I've been to a lot of presentations where it's like, here's how teaching is just like being an actor, or here's how teaching mm -hmm. is like being an improv comedian, or here's how college teaching is just like being a fourth grade gym teacher. And it's like, guess what? Teaching is like lots of things yeah. to yeah. different people. And we don't all need to be actors or improv comedians or gym teachers, but there are things you can borrow mm -hmm. from whatever, hopefully from whatever life experiences you've had. But the key thing is borrowing those may not be obvious, mm -hmm. right? And even like whether it's you've been a parent or, or, or work with, with people you're providing healthcare services to or overseeing people in the clinic, the more you can think about how that is more similar to being in a classroom, I mean, I think that helps, but it is hard because it feels so very, very different. And I'm not saying it's not different. I'm just saying maybe it's a little less different than you think it is. Right. So. Oh yeah, absolutely. And speaking of that, you know, I mentioned that, you know, you had this piece of paper that showed the individual slides mm -hmm. and then you have, you know, what you will say yeah, and then you have what they will do. Yeah. So can you tell me about those three components and how they go together in planning an effective presentation? Yeah. So we, we talked, I talked a little bit already about like, again, slides aren't your notes. So what you're showing on the screen is not what you're talking. So that's like two parts of it. But then there's also like, what is the audience doing? And again, I feel like PowerPoint has got us into the place where like the PowerPoint slide is the be all end all. Um, and I try and think about what do you send people away with or what do you give them in the workshop or session to work with that is different 
in the PowerPoint. And sometimes this is a phys if you're doing small groups, it may be a physical piece of paper. If it's in other groups, it might be some other document you're providing electronically. But what do you give people uh, to do in the audience or to walk away with that's different than what's your slides? And sometimes, like, guess what? Think about uh, are you doing places in your presentation where there is interactivity or where you're asking people to do some kind of activity? And, you know, that's going to look like different things in different contexts. You know, a workshop for, for teachers is going to look differently than, like, presenting at an academic conference because there's mainly more about the cultural <laughs> expectations of those different environments than anything. But, you know, your slides aren't everything. Right. There may be places where you want people to turn and ask a question of the person next to them or stop and brainstorm a question for you as the speaker or to do these classic uh, classroom assessment te techniques or workshop activities. Um, and like those aren't necessarily things in your slides. Also, you may want, you know, at the very least, like you may want to give people like here is a link where you will go to read more about my work. Right. Here's the website. Here's my email address. Like here's how you got to go more because like is all of is everything that we were ever going to do packaged in this one hour presentation or was this maybe your first start first step on advancing whatever it is you want to be doing with that so yeah I, I think of it as like triangulating the presentation what you show what you say and what they the audience does the, the audience what the audience does has been pretty powerful too and i think about giving these presentations i had never done that so um i remember what you would do is you'd hand out a piece of paper let's say it's you know double-sided yep and get a lot of information on yeah, eight and a half by 11. Totally. But you also, what I liked is you had engaging in the sense of you'd say like, um, write down the two component, two key aspects about this one yep. uh, point. So let's say you have six main points. You might have something on the page for each of those main mm -hmm. points that the audience has to do or yeah. a link that's resources. So if you have the six main points, then they would go along, so it would be another form of augmenting, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but it could be interactive, yep. and then they take take it home. Yep, I do, and I'm not telling you that everybody needs to do this. This is the thing I do uh, in my own workshops or presentations that people maybe have seen, but I feel kind of like I'm a weirdo because I don't see other people <laughs> doing it very often, but I do a lot where I pre provide people a handout that is a combination of, here's some information for you, but here is a space to take notes, and it is structured. Mm -hmm. Right. So if I've got those six topics, I give you six headings and I don't give you information about what goes on the heading, but it is a structure for you're going to see the six things and you can jot down whatever notes you want. I've not seen too many other people doing this, so I still feel like I'm kind of like, Very I've been doing this for years and no one else is doing it. Am I doing the right thing? Well, I, I don't know, I but it works for me. Yeah. I hope our <laughs> listeners do it because I've, as I've done it. Um, in classes or presentations, it has been very effective mm -hmm. because then people can see right up front what the key points are, and then they can walk away and have notes on those key points. Yeah. So it's a nice scaffolding yes. mm -hmm. that engages uh, your listeners too. Yeah, and if we think about how we work with kids with language-based learning disabilities of either oral or written language, that's something that we as reading specialists or um, collaborating with classroom teachers would do a lot, and especially for kids as they hit middle school because of that content increase. And then so if you kind of shift that and think about giving a presentation that it's new content, um, it, it often, it almost puts it in the same place where you're learning a completely you know, new topic and having that outline to guide you can help organize and facilitate your learning. So I, I think that that's great that you know, borrowing some of some of those best practices we have in, in K to 12 education. Also, we're working um, in the PowerPoint as well. I wanted to add for, for the do um, as a reading specialist or SLP when you're presenting, um, you know, maybe you're working on 
having a common idea of what early intervention looks like in your school or what resources or skills you're going to use. Um, a great, great presentations that I've been on working with kids on phonemic and phonological awareness was um, by Literacy House at one of the Connecticut IDAs and Dr. Margie Gillis. Um, she, everyone in the audience had their boards to do, um, you know, say it, slide it, and um, a bunch of other activities. She had adults getting up there um, with their letters on them and to show like how you would teach mm -hmm. the segmenting and the blending in whole class. And um, it was in a way that you could take, and Sally Grimes does that as well too. Like when you leave, you have a bag of things that you can take. And I think that not only that's good to have the activities, but it's also good to have a common understanding of what what your definition is of how to teach, you know, uh, phonemic awareness or what it looks like when you're, you know, mm -hmm. doing um, phonics instruction, what is best practice mm -hmm. um, and having that ability to be able to model it. I think yeah. that that's a great thing to work in to those um, professional developments as well. I think it's especially important for like, it's one thing if it's like, I'm going to give you this presentation on this thing that you need to start doing tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. And like, you're going to start doing it tomorrow and I'm going to help you be successful at that. That's kind of one thing, but if it's like, I'm going to give this presentation with a bunch of techniques that you might use in different places mm -hmm. throughout the year or whenever, yeah. having those artifacts that you can go back to mm -hmm. as the person in the audience is a big deal because yeah. like, you know, it gives you a context that having just been through a workshop and especially it's like, we're doing a workshop at the end of the, the, the yeah. year, right? Just where you go in summer. Here's all this important stuff that you maybe you'll think about. Yeah, like maybe you're going to think about over the summer, yeah. but probably you're not going to think about for yeah. real until late August. Right. And it's like, what if we had given you some stuff so that you at least like could kind of activate that knowledge in your head of like, oh, those were the seven strategies. And like, here's even the thing where like I did strategy number right. three. Right, um, right. So I also was thinking in uh, in terms of design. Yeah. You mentioned your design ideas. Uh, another take home I get from listening to your presentation is to think about how you view mm -hmm. your PowerPoint. And I've shared this with uh, colleagues and students, and it does seem to surprise them. It's not something that I, I think people readily use. Is under when you open PowerPoint, uh, one of the headers is view. Mm -hmm. If you go to view, you can click slide sorter. Yep. And it shows all of your slides on one screen yep. and you can get a bird's eye view of how much text you have, how mm. many visuals you have. And I like how you uh, highlight that this needs to be a nice mix of text and images. Yeah. And also I, I've used that slide sorter too to see, am I covering my main points? And you talk about using it mm -hmm. even up, up front mm -hmm. to create that outline yeah. that says, okay, here's the title, here's the conclusion here's the, you know, the main mm -hmm. points I'm going to use and I'll have maybe two or three slides, mm -hmm. you know, maybe one, you have an idea that maybe one of your points is going to require more um, information for your mm -hmm. audience. So maybe that one point has, you're going to devote seven slides. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's just a ballpark. Yeah. And maybe another point doesn't have as much information. So maybe only two slides, but you can get a sense of it from yeah. looking at the slide sort mm -hmm. sorter. I thought that was super helpful. Yeah. I think it again goes to that. Like a lot of people, you experience PowerPoint linearly are you building it linearly? You don't have to, <laughs> yes. right? And I think a lot of people don't use that slide sorter view. And I think it's even, it's intended for reordering slides, mm. but it's a really powerful, like, what does my whole presentation feel like? And I even sometimes have people like compare, like open up two or three of your presentations that feel different and look at them in slide sorter view. Mm. And do you get that sense of it from that? But you can tell from that slide sorter really quickly, like my slides are really text heavy. 
And you know, it's hard. Sometimes your slides do need to be text heavy and there are topics that don't leave them, lend themselves as well to visuals as others. But like, that gives you a sense of how it all feels. Because it, it is hard for you as the person creating a presentation to ever have a complete feeling of like, what will it be like in the audience, right? Like you'll never really get that fresh experience. But that slide sort of view is a place you can go to think about like, what does this look like? And I even think about like, can you read any of your sl slides from the slide sort of view? Maybe some a little bit, but like it gives you a sense of like, how big is some of your text, right? Um, you know, cause you'll see the stuff that jumps out in it. So that's just another good thing to do, especially, you know, whether you're building something new or revising something you've had for a while, take a look at what does it feel like in that slide sort of view and how does it, how does it fit together? Uh, cause mixing text and image is a big deal versus, here's 20 slides in a row with seven bullet, with bullet lists of seven items, or here's, you know, slide after slide with big paragraphs that I'm going to read at you because I'm also marketing my, uh, my PowerPoint presentation as a way to put people to sleep. Right, um, yeah, so, exactly. You know, you know, I haven't done this before. I'm curious what you think about Tony. I had a colleague who told me recently that he likes the design ideas. Mm -hmm. Have you seen that? Um, I don't know if I have played with, I have, yeah. we've been talking about PowerPoint yeah. the whole time. Yeah. And I actually, I you know, I use PowerPoint as a, like a shorthand for, yeah. PowerPoint, Keynote, or Google Slides, yeah. and I do most of my work in Google Slides, okay. it, but is the design ideas like visual layouts or slides? Yes, yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. it is, yeah. So I used it on my, I've been using on the past few presentations mm -hmm. that I did, and I did use it heavily on the one that I did yesterday. Um, I'm a visual person. I mm -hmm. think that that's where I get hung up on PowerPoints, is mm -hmm. that I want things to be, not just look pretty, but like graphically, yeah. um, you know, be spatial and, Engaging. Anyway, yeah. Engage, no, that stuff yeah, no, totally matters. Engaging. That's real. And, PowerPoint presentations yeah. are a visual media, right? Um, so I I do like it. It, mm -hmm. it does offer, I feel it does offer a way to organize slides in that I wouldn't use the other thing, the smart clip art, I think it's called. Mm -hmm. um, oh, yeah. I really, that, like, I, I've been using, yeah, yeah, so you can I've been make, using that a lot so yeah. instead of, you know, like you said, bullet points, like things mm -hmm. that I want to yeah. highlight, like having them in some type of like a, a mm -hmm design form i'm not really yeah. sure what the appropriate term is they're visuals um, yeah. but it i think it it looks nice and mm -hmm. it you know draws the um audience attention to your as you were saying your main points um i do have a long way to learn on how to get better at that it's but, not easy yeah. you know and i work with faculty a lot and faculty are very text-based people yeah. right they spend a lot of time yeah. reading and writing papers all day yeah. right? articles all day that's their format that they tend to be very most comfortable in which is not necessarily something that translates to presentation design mm -hmm. well and i think it's i think it's something probably all of us can try and be better at is where can i create engaging mm -hmm. visuals in my presentations and that's hard for some people because some people are like the topic i'm doing does not translate to that yeah. and you know maybe that's something where it's like you got to work with someone one-on-one -on -one to figure it out mm -hmm. but i would think you know in your presentations think about where are there places where you're showing a process or a mm -hmm. workflow or the organization of something or a model because those are places where some kind of visual diagram which you can create with that kind of smart art stuff mm -hmm. in powerpoint or, or equivalent software makes a big difference over that here's another bulleted list mm -hmm. right yeah. yeah places where you can use visuals to show the connections and relationships between mm -hmm. ideas in a way that a list will just never ever yeah. give you yeah. yeah smart art is good so smart art is smart. under insert you go to smart art it gives you lots of different ways i think of it as like infographics yeah. but it gives you a way to design ideas like you said processes or models the design ideas is different that one is under view i believe or actually it comes up when you do a new powerpoint yeah. slide mm -hmm. you can click on it 
and it is actually under let's see here i think it might be under it's under design, design. yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. Awesome. <laughs> design. Funny... so you click on it and it tells you and ideas. it gives you a lot more engaging yeah. layouts yeah. And it says, yeah. like, here's the possible ways you could change yeah. what you wrote mm -hmm. or what you did yeah. and one thing i would probably say visuals super matter what powerpoints your presentations need to be visually engaging at the very least they need to be not disengaging and distracting mm -hmm. and they need you know whatever professionalism means different things in different contexts so presentation you'd give to kids is going to look different than a presentation you'd give at your professional conference right. but there is it means something right uh it needs to meet that standard something i would encourage people to be careful about again that place where you can kind of get sucked into powerpoint that might be stuff you were working on toward the end of your process yeah. right <laughs> you don't want to be like reworking your slides and making them all look really pretty if you haven't finished like putting in your information yeah. right again it's like how much, you know, I think we've, most of us have gotten past this, but like, are you spending a bunch of time picking out what font your paper is going to be when you only have one paragraph mm -hmm. versus like write the whole paper. And then if you have any time left, you could play with your fonts. Also mm -hmm. don't play with your fonts, just use something simple. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it is, good, it is a good point though. And it goes back to thinking about content over format. Yeah. So you want your content to drive the presentation by thinking about the goals, thinking yep. about the key points, thinking about your constraints, the outline, but then you want the the visual to augment. It's got to line up with that. What you want and facilitate mm -hmm. it. So yeah. I think on that note, um, looking at our time, <laughs> I will wrap up. But I appreciate so much the um, information you've given, Tony, because it may seem obvious, but it's not, no, it's not. <laughs> to those who are so focused <laughs> on these presentations. So thank you so much for your time. It was a pleasure. You know, I think. PowerPoint is a really interesting tool, whether you think it's good or bad, but you know, for a ubiquitous tool, uh, we have not gotten ubiquitous with our good habits yet. So, but day by day. <laughs> Check out www.seeherespeakpodcast.com for helpful resources associated with this podcast, including, for example, the podcast transcript, research articles, and speaker bios. You can also sign up for email alerts on the website or subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or any other listening platform so you can be the first to hear about new episodes. Thank you for listening and good luck to you, making the world a better place by helping one child at a time.